Well, good evening, everybody. Good to see you. Welcome to Life Community. Hope everybody is enjoying the weekend. Wasn't it a gorgeous day outside today? Felt like maybe spring isn't quite as far away as it, as it felt a week ago, right? So, hey, uh, we started this series with a question that really um, ties the thought together, ties the theme together for what we've been talking about in this series, and that is this. In five years, what might God accomplish in and through me? In five years. So we started to say, you know, at the beginning of the year, and I know you guys have forgotten all about your resolutions by now. It's the third week, third Saturday, Sunday, third weekend, right? But uh, at the beginning of the year, people often think about their goals for the year. And what we said is oftentimes we think way too large when it comes to the year, but way too small when it comes to thinking more long term about what God might want to accomplish in us and through us in a little bit longer period of time. And last week, we looked at an incredibly important key in getting to those things that God wants to accomplish in and through us, and really asked the question of, okay, there's something God wants, someone God wants me to become, something God wants to do in me, and then something God wants me to accomplish, he wants to do through me, but how am I going to get there? And last week, we looked at a little phrase called little by little. I think it's a really important key, and I hope you have been engaging in your little-by-little little habits. I've been working on mine. We gave you a, a nerdy little sheet last week, and if you missed it, you can pick one up on the uh, info counter on your way out to check off little habits, small habits that you could do every day and string enough of these things together to make actually a impact in your life, right? And so I've been doing this. I told you I've, I've got one around like prayer and, and Bible reading. Um, but I also have one around doing three air squats. And if you missed last week, you got to go back and listen, because I don't have time. But all I'm going to tell you is it's, it's been very effective. I mean, just look at me, right? That's a joke. Um, no, but the point of it is to get in movement and momentum. And this morning, it was kind of a cool thing, uh, because I, I was getting ready to, to you know, crank out the rest of the message and finish it up. And I'm like, you know what? Oh, man, I need to do my mini habits, right? So I can check them off the list. And so I, I walk into my little gym room, and I'm like, I, I don't want it to take very long. I'm just going to get going. But I did my three air squats, and you know what? I just kept going. And before you know it, I did a pretty good workout. And that's the way this whole mini habit thing works, is that once you're in momentum, it just keeps rolling. So little by little, if you missed it, you can go back and, and uh, listen to, to that talk from last week, because really, that's going to be one of the most important things in you getting to the things that God is calling you to do. And so here today is the big idea that I want to talk about. And that is this. When it comes to the thing that what God might want to accomplish in and through you, here's the thing. The thing God wants to accomplish in and through you will be for the benefit and service of others. Let me repeat that. The thing God wants to accomplish in and through you will be for the benefit and service of others. Because here's the thing. You could be super effective at your little-by-little little goals. I mean, you could radically change your life over the next five years. You could be in a whole new, different place financially, right? You could, you could be out of debt. You could, you, know, you could be in the best shape of your life. And ultimately, if it's all about you, it's going to be meaningless, right? Ultimately, you could do all of those things and end up missing out on the point of life because you made it all about yourself. And I have to remind you 
because it's something we all need to be reminded of frequently. little phrase we like to say around here, right? Life is for you, but not about you. It's for you. God, God is interested in your joy, your fulfillment, your pleasure, but it's not about you. And that's sometimes hard for us to hear as Americans because there's something in us as Americans that likes to be the hero and the leading character in the movie that's all about us. That's just something we do as Americans, isn't it? Ultimately, it's, it's about ourselves. It's why our culture idolizes the people we idolize, right? The people, predominantly the people at the top, the people who get to bark the orders, the people who have the status and, and all the riches, right? People who aren't reliant on anyone, the self-made man. I, that's a big deal. And I think, especially in Western Colorado, we're so individualistic, right? But all over in our country, the idea of the self-made man, you know, pulled himself up by their bootstraps, worked hard, don't need to rely on anybody else. People who have people who have people serving them, Right? We, we, we like to look up to those kind of people. In fact, there's something in all of you that's, that's always wanted to say this phrase. Um, I'll have my people call your people. <laughs> right? Now, some of you, you've said that phrase. And, uh, you know, you, you, you started a business or whatever. And one day, you found yourself saying that phrase. And you were like, well, look at me. I have people to have call other people. Right? And there's something that feels really good about that, isn't it? And those chuckling are because you've said that one day. Like, you know, you, you found yourself in that place. That thing that rises up and finds that great pleasure in that fact. Um, one of Jesus' closest followers named John, he calls it this. The boastful pride of life. The boastful pride of life. That part of us that likes to revel in the fact that we are superior that we have it all together, that we are self-made, that we are self-reliant, the boastful pride of life. And if we're not careful, the boastful pride of life will quickly lead us into making all of our goals and all of our, our ambitions for our future all about us, ultimately. Which, you know, the really counterintuitive thing about all this is that it'll actually do the opposite of what we will hope that it'll do. It won't bring fulfillment but instead brings emptiness. So to kind of help us wrestle with this idea today, we're going to look at two incredible accounts in the life of Moses. They occur only six weeks into the journey towards the promised land. And they happen in the desert on the way to Mount Sinai in a place called Rephidim, which we believe is right down here on the Sinai Peninsula. And just to set the stage really quick, and then we're going to dive in. God has delivered the people of Egypt. He's brought them through the Red Sea. He, he began providing manna from them, um, from the sky every day. They'd wake up, and this amazing thing, right? He provided water for them from a massive spring in, in Iraq. And now we're going to see the very first battle the people of Israel are going to face. And so if you have your Bibles and want to follow along, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 17. We're going to start in verse 8. We're going to skip a few verses, um, but we're, then we're going to roll right in to Exodus chapter 18. And we're going to look at two stories that have some incredible similarities and some real neat tie-ins. In fact, you really kind of see that in the Hebrew of the text, how they tie together and are meant to go right with each other. So here's how it starts out. Verse 8, 17 verse 8. 
The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men to go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. Now this is interesting scripture. This is the first time the name Joshua appears in the Bible. We know he's going to be a huge leading character in the scripture, but this is the first time. And so Moses commissions him to take some men and go out and fight this group that had come to attack them. And, and the thing about this is Moses knows that they are not well equipped for this battle. They are not in a good place. They're tired. In fact, later in, in um, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, we see that uh, Moses said, these guys came out and attacked you when you were exhausted because they're going through the, walking through the desert, right? They're, they're, they know they're weak. They know they're vulnerable. And so without provocation, this group of people, the Amalekites, comes down and attacks the people of God. And this is God's, you remember, the people of Israel aren't just a special people to God. They are the people that God has chosen to bring about his plan of redemption for the whole world. And so you want to know why God deals with Egypt in such a powerful way as he frees the people and the plagues that come upon Egypt. It's because they're standing directly opposed to his redemptive purpose for the world, right? And so this people, the same thing, and you can see the underlying motivation of the enemy behind the scenes stirring this people up now to kind of come against the people of God and the redemptive purposes of God. And so Moses tells Joshua, go out and fight, and tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. Tomorrow. And this is kind of cool because this phrase tomorrow is repeated over and over and over again in Exodus. All over during the plagues of, uh, against Egypt, God says, well, watch what I'm going to do tomorrow. Tomorrow, this is going to happen. Tomorrow, and there's this idea that tomorrow, this, this underlying theme that tomorrow is the day that God is going to move powerfully on your behalf. And I just think maybe there's some of you in this room tonight that need to hear that because you're waiting to see God move. And you're praying. And just know that, that God wants to move on your behalf. You may not see it today, but there's a tomorrow coming. Verse 10. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. Now, this is such an interesting passage of Scripture. Have, if you grew up in Sunday school, you've read this. Maybe some of you haven't read this since Sunday school. You know, since you saw it on the flannel graph, and, you know, they had a little Moses, and he's holding his hands up with the staff, you know. Or maybe some of you, you know, saw it, on, I don't know. I, don't, I was going to say the Ten Commandments, but I think that would have been a different scene, right? I think that would have been in there, wouldn't it? Yeah. He's got his, his staff going, you know, he's, he's holding his arms up. But this is kind of interesting, isn't it? This is kind of a strange little story, a strange account. As Moses goes up the, to the top of the hill and he holds up the staff of God. And then you've tried this. You've, you, anybody worked above your head? Yeah, I remember uh, one job I did back right out of high school. I did construction and, and uh, um I worked for this guy that a lot of people in town have worked for. And this was like the worst job ever. We had to scrape 
Um, we had to scrape wallpaper off this old turn-of-the-century house downtown, spray it, and then you're working above your head, and it's just nasty. Um, so you've, you've probably done something like that, where you've, you've worked above your head, and then the next day you can barely hold your arms up. And, and what's interesting about this is as long as he holds it up, right, the battle below is going good, and as soon as he holds it down, or as soon as he, he lets it go, the tide starts shifting, right? And, and it's this interesting thing. It's like, okay, why is God work, choosing to work that way? What's going on here? And sometimes we just got to look and go, I don't know, right? But I'll tell you what I think is going on here. Here's what's going on here. They got to they gotta remember, they're going to see all kinds of battles. This is only the first battle they've faced as a, as a nation after coming out of slavery. But they're going to face all kinds of battles. And you know, there are times when we stand back and we see the mighty work of God like they did as they walked across the Red Sea. As Moses plants the staff and the Red Sea was parted and they walk across the Red Sea on dry land. Uh, there's times when we see things like that where we just, it feels like we just stand back and watch what God is doing. And then there's times where we work our tail off. We work absolutely as hard. We give it everything we have. And, and the key is in those moments, we have to realize that it's still God who's working. It's still God who's working behind the scene. And you see all throughout scriptures, this idea of hands raised high is a posture of prayer, right? It's a posture of dependence on God, of calling out to God, of seeing him as our source. And so I, here's what I think is happening in this, is that they, they are reminding they are being reminded through this whole process who you're dependent on. You may be down there fighting, but just because you're down there fighting, don't get the idea that you're accomplishing what you're accomplishing because of your own strength and your own ability. That it's God who's at work behind the scenes bringing this thing to pass. And so as soon as you know his arms would go down, they'd start to lose the battle. And it's this idea of, okay, we're dependent on you, God. We're dependent on you, God, right? This is the first battle they'll encounter, but they would have many, many more battles. And this was a truth that they would have to remember over and over again, lest they begin to get cocky and forget God and think, yeah, we can accomplish this. In fact, you see this a little bit later in the, their history. They forget God. They think we can accomplish this on our own. They don't do it the way God says, and they get defeated. Dependence on God. He's teaching them dependence on God. You know, because the truth is, the hill is, is where the battle is truly won. It's in prayer and dependence on God that the battle is truly won in our lives. Verse 12. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. So you can just get this picture, you know, oh, I can't do it. And then, okay, they roll this big old stone over, you know, plop. He gets to sit down on the stone. He's still got his arms up in the air. And then Aaron and her held his hands up one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. And here's the thing, Aaron and her are vital in this account, aren't they? But what role are they playing? They're playing the supporting role, right? In fact, they're playing kind of a mundane supporting role. I'm sure they stood there feeling a little bit awkward. I'm sure probably Moses, as he raises his hands up and they're right next to him, 
He didn't have the best smelling pits, you know? Just saying it's the middle of the desert and there's no deodorant, you know? And they're sitting here going, this isn't the greatest job ever, right? And here's what I think my first impulse would have been in this situation. Would it would have been as Moses was was getting like tired and and you know his arms started sinking and he's like, dude, here you're getting tired. Give me the staff. Let me hold it. I'm better than you. I can do this better than you. I'm stronger than you. I know better than you. G- give me that staff, right? And of course, we know that would have ended in the defeat of Israel, wouldn't it? Because that wasn't their calling, right? That wasn't their calling. Our first, our first. Our first impulse might have gone, hey, the old man's getting tired. Let's just take over for him. But the key is they don't take the spotlight here. They don't see a need to step in and fill his shoes. They're faithful in the supporting role that God has them in at this moment of their life. And here's something that's hard to hear, but it's really a truth that we need to wrestle with. And that is this, that that your real significance in, in life may not be direct, It may not be a direct significance. It may be indirect. And as Americans, that's hard for us to hear, like we started out saying, because we want to be the star in the story of the movie that's all about us, right? But the truth is, God may have you in a role where you support, and no one may ever know your name, but it may be incredibly significant. It may be incredibly significant for his kingdom. Sometimes life doesn't go our way, right? Sometimes we don't get everything. All of our dreams don't come true. And when when that happens, we tend to think that my life is not significant. My life, you know, I didn't get here, and so, you know, I had a goal, and I never achieved it, and so I must not be that important in the overall scheme. You have no idea how just being faithful in, in the area that God's given you to serve in is making an impact for him and making an impact that will go on beyond you for generations after generations. So the Amalekite army is defeated. Verse 14, then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered. Literally, the Hebrew word is memorialized. And make sure that Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. That seems a little harsh. Well, remember this people had been coming directly against, as far as we know, unprovoked against God's protective or God's redemptive plan. And God says, I'm not going to let that happen. And he says, I want you to write this, write it down and make sure that Joshua hears about it. Why? Because in about 40 years, he would lead the people into the promised land. But don't miss this, not for 40 years. And during that time, what was Joshua doing? He was serving as Moses' aid. He was a sidekick. He was his servant for that whole time. Verse 15. So Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. He said, Because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. And so here's kind of a cool connection I've never studied this before, but for you Bible nerds, you might like this. The Amalekites, this Amalekite connection. 
This is the first time, the first battle the Israelites face, it's against the Amalekites. Well, these people will be a thorn in their flesh for hundreds and hundreds of years. In fact, part of the reason that just a couple years later, year and a half later, um, they did not enter into the promised land when they had the opportunity was because there were Amalekites in the land along with some other people groups that they were terrified of. And then flash forward a couple hundred years later, this people group continues to be this thorn in their flesh, thorn in their side. And they don't completely eradicate them in the conquest of Canaan. In fact, Saul, they go all the way up to the time of the the first king of Israel, Saul, and he stopped short of ridding them from the land. He let Agag, the king of the Amalekites, live when God told him not to. David finally vanquished them. But still, even that, here's the interesting thing. In the book of Esther, these people rear their ugly head one more time, and they try to annihilate Israel around the time of the Assyrian captivity. And there was a figure in that. His name is Haman, who was a descendant of Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And you remember that story, as Haman literally has the scheme and plot to annihilate all the followers, all of God's people. Isn't that an interesting connection all the way through there? And the key... I think one of the big keys in this for us is that the things you let go unchecked and undealt with in your life could be the thing that takes you out in the future. But for the protection and sovereign hand of God, these Amalekites at the beginning and many times throughout would have destroyed the people of Israel, right? That's why Jesus is so intense in some scriptures. He says, hey, if your hand makes you stumble, do what? Cut it off. Really? If your eye makes you stumble, pluck it out. Really? Now, I wouldn't go that far because he's making a point. It's rhetoric, right? But the point is that you be that serious, that serious about this. And in the same way, you see this really interesting parallel because Satan is a defeated enemy, and yet he is still trying to take you out, isn't he? And you experience that in your life day to day, don't you? So, That's the first cool account. The second account is this one. And you might have have heard this in Sunday school too. Exodus 18.1. So right after this, right after this battle, it says this. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. So Jethro is the guy, when, when Moses flees originally because he kills the Egyptian and he has to flee from Pharaoh into the desert, Jethro is the, is the shepherd that he finds out in the desert and he ends up doing something really great for him, uh, chasing away like the marauders that are bothering his daughters. And so it makes shepherding the sheep a lot easier. And so now Jethro gives his daughter to Zipporah to Moses in marriage. And somewhere along this, this route, his wife and two kids are still with, de- with, their, uh, with Moses' father-in-law. And so Jethro comes. They're out in the desert. He comes on a journey to come find him, bringing wife and a couple kids with him. And he hears all these things, and they greet each other and hear of these amazing things that God had been doing for him. And just like Moses helps Jethro shepherd his sheep, Jethro is now going to help Moses shepherd the people of God. Goes like this, verse 9. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel. 
in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hands of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hands of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods for he did this to those who treated Israel arrogantly. And this is so cool as it ties into the big story of scripture. Because you remember, Israel's call was to be a light to the nations. The reason they were being redeemed wasn't just for themselves, was it? It was for the sake of the nations. The reason God saved you isn't just for yourself, is it? It's for the sake of the nations. It's for the sake of those who don't know Jesus yet. It's for serving others. That's why you're still here. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus, that's why you don't just get saved and God says, come to heaven right now. Some of you wish he would, but he leaves you here and it's not so you can be selfish and live for yourself. It's because you have a mission in life. And so this is this amazing thing where we see right away God's heart for all the nations because he comes and he goes, wow, now I see, now I see that your God is greater. Remember, he's the priest of the nation of Midian. He, that would have meant he was a, a demon God worshiper, Right? And this whole thing of seeing the way God moved powerfully draws him to worship the one true God. In fact, they go on to sacrifice to the one true God. And it's this really cool, really cool scene. Verse 13. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone as judge while all these people stand around you from, from morning till evening? And get this, Jethro cared enough about Moses to open his mouth and speak into his life. Some of you, you have things you need to speak into the life of other people around you, things you see, and yet you're too shy, you're holding back, you think it'll be awkward. You need to open your mouth and speak into their life. You need to open your mouth and get involved in what's going on because you see things that are red flags. You see things that are dangers and God may want to use you to be the thing that brings them to the place where they need to go. Verse 15, Moses answered him, because the people came to me to seek God's will, whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. In other words, they're all a bunch of, they just came out of a slave nation. They don't know anything. And so because, you know, God is the one speaking to me, you know, it just makes sense. I, I, I'm just trying to serve these people. I'm just trying to help them out, right? Verse 17, Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. And there's some of you in the room that you just need to say this aloud right now to yourself. In fact, we'll, we'll all say it along with you. Actually, I'm one that needs to say it too. So let's just say this little phrase. What you're doing is not good. Point it to yourself. What you're doing is not good. Because some of you, in the name of trying to meet needs and serve others and get it all done, you're thinking you can get it all done by yourself, right? You think what you're doing is good, but you're not going to last the way you're doing it. 
You're not going to be around long enough. You're going to fry and burn out before you can be of service to anybody. Right? So Jethro speaks into his life. He opens his mouth. He gives them some advice on how to shepherd his people. Verse 19. Listen to me now. Listen now to me. And I'll give you some advice. And may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God. Do what you're called to do, buddy, right? And bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how to behave. Moses has to do what he's called to do. And and Jethro acknowledges that. God has put you in the position you're in for a specific purpose. You have a calling. You have a role. You have people you need to speak into their life. You are called to serve certain people. Whether if you're a leader, you are called to serve, right? No matter what area of life you are in, you are called to serve. And you got to do the thing God's calling you to do. Verse 21, but... But you can't do it the way you're doing it, buddy. Verse 21, but select capable men from all people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases, they can decide for themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. Verse 23, and if you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. And this is such a key because the point of this whole thing isn't about Moses, is it? The point of this whole thing isn't about Moses. Moses is doing the absolute best he can do, just getting in there, gritting it out, serving the people, You know, being that guy, always on, always on. And Jethro looks at the situation and he goes, what you're doing is not good. If you keep going that that way, you're not going to do anybody any good. Let me tell you what you need to do. You are the bottle. You've heard this. If you're in leadership, you know this. You're the bottle in your organization, in in the neck of the bottle. You're the cork. You're the, I don't know, what am I trying to say? You get what I'm saying, right? You're what plugs up the whole thing. Get yourself out. You got to get yourself out of the way, don't you? If it's you making every single decision, if you think everything has to come through you, you know, that in many ways is a form of pride. And Jethro looks and goes, hey, you need to find capable, trustworthy people who fear God, and you need to give them authority and responsibility. Am I preaching to anybody in the room? You got to find people, and you got to you got to give them authority and responsibility. And then these people will go home satisfied because it's bigger than you. And the point is, if you think you can do it all, you don't meet the needs because you can't meet the needs. No human can meet these needs. No one person can meet all of these needs, right? This is a bigger deal than you. This is about the people you're calling to serve. And, and here's humility. Humility is admitting that you can't do it on your own. And this can be hard for us because as Americans, what we like to do is pretend we can do it all on our own. In fact, that's why we idolize and worship the the people we perceive as being self-made, right? 
Because we see all this. They, they pulled themselves up by their bootstraps. They didn't need anybody. They fought. They scrapped. They did whatever they need to do. And look at where they are now. And almost every occasion, that's a, that's a false paradigm. And almost every occasion, they're where they are because they got really good at doing what Moses did up here. It's just you don't always see it when you're looking at it. But we still have this idea and humility is admitting you can't do it all on your own. And I just got to say, I mean, this is such a big deal. And there's two faces of this, and that's why I put these two stories together. But I, I, this is a constant struggle for me, leading a church. One of the hardest things as the church grows, and several years ago as the church continued to grow and we moved into this building and stuff, is when you're real small, I felt like I can personally connect with everybody. And as the church grows, I, I can't, right? I just can't. And as I try to, it, it just starts, it starts killing you, right? So you just got to start handing off responsibility. That's one of the primary reasons why we, we launched our whole life group structure. Is because at a certain point, a small group of pastors can only really effectively minister to so a few of you, a couple hundred of you, but as the church is growing past and beyond that, just can't anymore, right? I know some of you are leaders in business arenas, and some of you, it's a leadership in maybe the classroom or your home. But this is such a key. And here's what Moses did. He listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. Listened. You know, Moses is later called the most humble man who ever lived. And undoubtedly, he is one of the greatest leaders that ever lived, right? In fact, a while later, Joshua, when there's these people who weren't part of their little group, and there's these other guys over prophesying, and Joshua, it says, who's been his aide since his youth. So that's Joshua, serving, 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 right? Joshua, he runs up and goes, Moses, there's these people over here prophesying. Should we tell them to stop? And Moses goes, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. I don't have to be the one that has the limelight. That's his heart, right? And the heart of every great leader is a heart that serves others and wants to see other people elevated and come into their gifts and callings and released to accomplish and so Moses, he's humble enough to listen. And then he's humble enough to take the good advice that's given to him. And see, in this, we have these two kind of incredible stories, and they flow right together. And, and there's two ways of looking at this, because some, you're, you're called into a position that other people would look at you and go, you're a leader. You know, you have people that work for you, report to you. You got direct reports. You got, you know, all this kind of thing, right? And others of you are called in a position where you don't feel like that at all. You feel like you're in a supporting role. And in either, in either place, what you have to realize is life is not about you. It's not about you. Aaron and her, they're in a place where they're called to help. Now, Aaron, he's called as a great leader in a lot of other situations. In this day, all he's doing is hanging out by Moses' pits, you know, <laughs> holding this arm up, right? Holding the arm up. Not very glamorous, not very exciting, not the picture he pictured in his mind as a kid about the movie about Aaron, right? And her, 
these two guys. And sometimes where you're at, you, the biggest area, the biggest thing you're going to do, the most significant thing you're going to do is holding someone else up in this place that you're at. The other side of that is some, some of you, you need to really, you're Mr. Get it all done. Do it all. I can do it all. I'm in charge. You know, I'm the one that can handle it all. And you need to ask for help. You need to allow some other people to come around you. Actually, it's pride not to let other people come around you and start bearing some of the burden. Some of you, you're in that boat, aren't you? Because our default is we want to see ourselves as the hero, don't we? And some of you, you're just drowning right now. You're not helping others, really, to the level you could because you're trying to do everything, right? And so what we started with, we, we wrap back around to, isn't it? And that's this, that the thing that God wants to accomplish in and through you will be for the benefit and the service of others. That whatever it is, that if, if, if your five-year plan is all about you becoming just a better version of you, you need to come up with a better plan, don't you? That's about the benefit of service of others. Whatever the thing is God wants to accomplish in you is going to be for you, but not just, not about you, right? Life is for you, not about you. And your life really only finds significance in the context of serving others. Let me just ask you, how would, how would this situation five years later have ended differently if either of these people had not been willing to serve in the place where God was calling them to serve? If, if Aaron and her had gone, ah, I'm too good to do that. Or if Moses had gone, get away from me, guys, I got this. Right? Would not have ended well, would it? There would have been a whole bunch of people. There would have been mass casualties. So ask you, you got to ask yourself a couple questions around this. As God's calling you to serve, who are you too important or busy to help? Because that's a big thing. Sometimes we get ourselves in this place where we just feel like, oh, we're, our life's so crazy, we can't even help, right? We can't even begin to think about other people's problems and issues. Maybe you do a good job of this at work and you're a good leader at work. Then the question comes, how are you doing at home? Are you too important to help at home? So what do you, what do, you do with this? Here's really two big things I want you to wrestle with. Who do you need to put around you? Who do you need to put around you? And who has God put you around to hold up? Who do you need to put around you to help hold you up? And who has God put you around to help hold up? And maybe a very simple question you could ask this week is how can I help? How can I help? Maybe that's a question you need to ask your, your wife or your husband. Maybe that's a question you need to ask you know, in the context of work. And then some of you, you have people around you asking that, and you need to let them help. Because here's the thing. Moses doesn't get to accomplish what God had called Moses to accomplish unless he has people around him, right? Unless people were willing to support, to take the non-flashy roles and support. And you know, some of you, you, you feel like oftentimes the reason we don't step into a situation and get involved in the way we need to or speak into it 
maybe help a family in church or pray for a coworker. It's because it's just awkward, isn't it? You see somebody, you know there's an issue going on, and you, you, you know you should do something about it. You know you should step into that space and help, but it just feels too awkward. And a lot of times we use awkward as, a, as an excuse not to help or serve in the ways that God's calling us to, don't we? Because we, it's like we have an awkward allergy in our culture. Anything that feels a little awkward, you know. Maybe it's somebody that's going through a divorce or a rough situation. Somebody that's going through a health thing. And, and, it's, and there's an awkwardness there that ends up just causing loneliness. Instead of stepping into that space and embracing somebody in your life. And other times it's just because it's inconvenient or it's hard, right? And some of the reason why you need to hand stuff off, if you're one of these control freaks, is because you don't have the bandwidth to help anybody as God brings people into your life, right? Because you're just up to your eyeballs. And so you can't really engage with anyone. And sometimes that's our big excuse. It's a pride thing. You know, either you're too good or you're too busy or you're too close to broke. You think, well, we can't do it right now because, you know, we're just, we're, we're just almost broke. You know, your willingness to be awkward or to inconvenience yourself and help in the moment may end up affecting the course of history. Because here, here's the thing. Joshua, ultimately, Joshua would be called by God. In Numbers 27, this isn't on the screen. The Lord said this to Moses. He said, take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit of leadership, and lay your hand on him, which is the symbol, laying hands. It's the symbol all throughout the Bible of conferring authority. And he goes, lay hands on this guy because he's the guy that's risen. Oh, you mean Joshua, my sidekick, the guy who's been serving me. Yeah, him. Why is he showing leadership? Because he served faithfully for year after year after year. And Joshua would go on and he would lead the people of Israel into the promised land. And then about 1,400 years later, another Joshua would come. You know him by his English pronunciation. Jesus. And he would come and he would say this. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life for, as a ransom for many. That's why you and I are here today. Because Jesus was willing to pour out his life for us, to serve us in such an incredible way. And so let me just challenge you this week to ask those kind of questions. How can I help? You have someone you need to ask that to. How can I help? Who's, who, who has God put around you that you know you need to hold their arms up in this season? You just need to get in there, right? And yeah, it's a little stinky and a little awkward and not so much fun and there's definitely nothing glamorous about it. But you know, right now, I, I'm being called to hold this person up. And for some of you, who is God calling to get around you? so that maybe you can free up some more bandwidth so that you can serve more people because that's ultimately what it's about, isn't it? 
that if you don't begin to offload some of that stuff, you won't serve the people that you need to serve in the way they need to be served. Would you stand? There may be somebody in the room that you haven't embraced what Jesus did yet for the first time. And what we sang earlier in that song, Reckless Love, that he's going after you, he wants your heart. That he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And you are one of those many. And so tonight, you can simply embrace him by praying a prayer like this, either right after me or in the quietness of your heart. Lord Jesus, I trust in what you did for me when you died and rose again. I want to turn from my sin and live for you. Forgive me and welcome me into your family. And Lord, for the rest of my friends, I just want to ask that you would show them who you've placed in their, in their lives that they need to hold up in this season. Lord, thank you for preserving these amazing accounts now for 3,500 years. We love you and we lift up your name. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.